0: Kinds of fun stuff today. We got giveaways. We've got really great movies to cover. Uh, still kind of in the trailing off of Oscar season, and uh, Tim, by jove, the Writers Guild did it. Yeah. they stood in there and they did not blink. The well, the agents blinked the for agents six blinked. for six days, or they bluffed. And uh, for those who who aren't following this, which we have touted, so uh, the sixth was the expiration of the 43-year contract between agents and writers, which was... uh Has been in effect since before Star Wars was released, (laughs) and and it's kind of weird, right? Every forty-three years,
1: I just can't. It's just so arbitrary. I mean, it's just so. (laughs) Why exactly forty? Well, because
0: once upon a time they just figured, you know what? You're not really all you're really doing is being agents. We'll just make it really long. What's the point in renegotiating this? What's going to change? Well, since 1976, everything changed. Well, yeah,
1: but 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 why not forty? Or 45. <laughs> or even 50. Or, you know, exactly you know, what genius says. Nah, 43.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, but it, in any case, so uh, that expired on April 6th. And uh, with like 90 minutes or two hours left before the expiration, the uh, the agents begged for another six days to come up with something. And then uh, what they came up with was just more of the same. It was a bunch of junk. And the writers said, yeah, not so much. Uh try again. Yeah. Uh and then on the thirteenth, people started firing their agents. Yeah. And we know people who yeah. will fire their agents. Yeah. I mean name I all my name screenwriter friends were like, yep, done. Here it is.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was always in their interest uh, to, 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 to make sure that their agents were serving their interests. For years, that hasn't been true. These yeah. agents have not been serving these writers' direct no. interests for a long, long time. The the
0: offer the offer on the table was, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll keep packaging. We'll keep the packaging fees, <laughs> but we will now share 0.8% of our packaging fees with you. And the writers are like, really, 0.8%? How'd you oh, so how, how'd you how'd you come up with point eight it's as like opposed the 43 to forty three like, year yeah. thing? Yeah, like yeah, you, you couldn't you couldn't just come up to one. <laughs> you <laughs> couldn't make it an even
1: one percent just to insult us properly. You know what? That's this, this really is about greed, though, right? So of in course, the it is. in the aggregation of wealth and power, not just the wealth, but also the power, because yeah. with that wealth came a certain amount of power. Yeah, uh, there was a so um, uh, going backwards in time just a little bit. There was a moment. Uh, in the history of Hollywood, when the studio was the thing, yeah. The studio and the studio boss were the thing. That's right. Agents were important, but, but, but actors worked for studios and worked for yeah. and the studio, studio when heads. when
0: they had contracts. When you were contract players and directors, mm-hmm. and you, you the studio owned you.
1: And uh, along came all kinds of legal situations. Olivia De Havilland, yeah, yeah, Olivia, <laughs> and uh, and uh, the studio system fell apart. Um, uh, it, actors, uh, became sort of the thing for a while there. Yeah. So you had have, have the sort of powerful actor and, and perhaps their agent. And then, and then the, 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 the truly powerful agency situation came in. Mike Ovitz and all those guys in yeah. the heady days of the late, late 80s and early 90s, where the, the agencies became the power brokers in town. Studios became distributors and sometimes financiers yeah. uh, of films, but it was the agencies that really had the power, particularly to put movies together. To put movies together, yeah. And that's when all of this began. Yeah. Uh, and it's been going on for you know close to thirty years now. Well, it's the the thing that is most galling to me is that,
0: uh, and and to the Writers Guild too. Was it right when they were having these negotiations? And Endeavor, the parent company of, of William Morris Endeavor, WME, was actually still moving forward with their talks to have a public offering. Mm. And the Writers Guild said, wait a minute, Don't, you're, you're not, then you're not serious in these negotiations. Because if you become a public company, now your first responsibility is to shareholders, not to your clients. Mm-hmm. We want you to work for us, not for shareholders. We're not going to become just an asset in a basket for some hedge fund mm-hmm. that wants,
1: know, qu- wants quarterly uh, quarterly uh, earnings, earnings reports. reports. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So these are the these are the stakes. You know the agencies are saying this is going to create chaos in the business. And the funny thing is, I have talked to people with the MPAA. I have talked to people who are in the in the upper echelons of the studios. I have talked to people in the uh, at, at IFTA, the uh, the uh, independent equivalent of the MPAA, who runs the American film market and mm-hmm. represents all the independents. Uh, I have talked to people who are DGA members. I've talked to people in the Producers Guild and in SAG. I've I've had casual conversations with all these people, with rank-and-file Teamsters and editors local Mm. members. I mean, all of them. And and to a one, without exception, every single last one of them says, I hope they wipe the agents. (laughs) Uh, Every single one of them. The agents are like, you're going to have chaos without us. And all I could think of was... This is literally, this is almost literally like... Tony Montana at the end of Scarface saying, say hello to my little friend, and thinking he is the man and firing that big old gun and get it off, man. That's the last shot you're gonna yeah. get because everybody else is gonna machine gun your ass in about 15 seconds. The backbone
1: of the of the powerful agency days has been broken. It's over. It lasted about 30 years and it's yeah. over. And the thing of, and what's ridiculous about it is it really was only about 25, 30 years. Yeah. So the the model already exists for the way this works. You're an agent. You get 10% of that's your clients – uh, of what you get for your clients. The way you make more money is your, you get more clients get more clients and get more money for all of them. And, yeah. and, you, and your wage goes up. That's, that's it. That's the way you make more money. Uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with, they, with being in the, the movie, uh, what, producing and owning business. No. No. no they, just, they just decided that
0: because they controlled a lot of talent and had a lot of power that they could reinvent the business model. And it's not a, a business model that that can be reinvented or should be reinvented. It mm-hmm.
1: needs to stay as it they got away with was. it for a while. You know? They did. They, they, they did. You know, and, and frankly, it was the thing that just sort of creeped up on us because for a while there, we were, we were all sort of enamored of these power agents. Yeah. What was yeah. that movie Kevin Spacey made? Um, um, mm. um, uh, swimming with Sharks. Swimming with Sharks, yeah. Uh, middle 90s, early 90s, whatever it was. Yeah. And, and that was sort of the shape of these things. The well, thing of it is, he's the hero of that movie. You
0: had, you had Swimming with Sharks. <laughs> You had entourage. You had, for a brief moment, the uh, the Jay Moore show
1: action. Oh yeah, yeah right. Yeah, you, yeah. You,
0: you, we we were sort of glamorizing in a in a mafioso kind of way. Exactly. This particular agent attitude, like, oh, look how badass he is. And then people realized, oh yeah,
1: no, he's kind of a he's kind of a jerk. gonna no,
0: no, I don't I don't think I like that guy. And
1: through him, I look like a jerk as a client. You know that that guy makes me look like a jerk. So it's it's a new world. It is, and it's it's quite interesting. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see where it
0: all goes. I think it has to go to the courts. It's going to have to go to the courts, and the old MCA ruling is going to reflect poorly on them. Mm. And again, I thought, you know, the people at Endeavor, this is where I wonder, when people get to be that powerful and rich, you assume that there is a certain level of smarts. But there isn't. Mm. Money will make you stupider than anything. Yeah. Money, money, and sex make people stupid. Yeah. When you, when you, yeah. when, when that, thats just the desire for those two things will make you stupid. Yeah. That's a lesson from the Digigods, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Money yeah. and the, your
1: your thirst for money and your thirst for sex will make you do stupid things. Never to word spoken. Uh, you, you know what's interesting about this though? It is it is a moment, uh, one of the few, frankly, in in, in, in Hollywood where the power. Has accrued back to the talent now. Yeah. Now, during the halcyon days of the like late late eighties, nineties, two thousands, talent in terms of big movie stars. Yes, uh, that talent, uh, you know, the Tom Hanks well, and, and everything. But this is the first time writers. The reason this works out well is because
0: writers control the material. Writers yeah. always get crapped on, so they already have a chip on their shoulder. And you know everybody's always like, oh yay, look at the actor, and it's a director's medium and a hotshot producer, and the and there's a writer somewhere going, but I I wrote it yeah I wrote it hello I'm yeah. here too yeah. you know I may be kind of an obese little hairy <laughs> unhygienic guy sitting in a closet somewhere who doesn't like the the limelight but I I I'm part of this too, and writers are kind of sick of that yeah so they they realized that the the root of the whole packaging scam. Was the material. If you take the scripts away, you ain't got nothing to package. Exactly. There's nothing there. Exactly. <laughs> that exactly. pulls
1: the whole thing out by the root. It, 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 it's, it's, it's about time. It's about time that yeah. writers started to matter again. Yeah, I but agree. It's, and we, it's not all done yet, but it's, gonna, it's never going to be the same. Well, this is a couple of writers saying this here. Well, year, yes, so. but it's true. You know, yeah,
0: it's awesome. it is, it is. So in other news, uh we haven't we haven't had any uh listener mail for a long time. We haven't really solicited it because we have the synagods the page and the digigods page where people can uh, can start conversations and we answer and we participate in all that stuff. Uh that is but you can always email us at gods at digigods.com or gods at com, And uh we had a uh, an email here from Jason Lair, who said, in uh, one of the last podcasts, you mentioned that you've been listening to podcasts following this packaging fees issue. Uh, I would be quite interested to know which ones, if you could send a link or just a name, and I'll look it up on iTunes. And while I know there isn't any actual news, uh, what's your guess about a possible Blu-ray release of Jim Cameron's *The Abyss*? Thanks, and, th- and keep up the great show. So, first on the uh, *The Abyss* thing, uh, there isn't any. Presumably, there is a. Um, he's working on it, but he's doing so many other things with, you know, the Avatar sequels and everything else uh that uh it, it's it's i'm sure on the back burner so we'll see it at some point but who knows when the uh the podcast i referred him to with respect to this all the stuff that's going on with the uh, the wga and the ata and all that is the script notes podcast which is uh hosted by john august and craig mazin both of them a-list screenwriters john august is you know uh, in the news again he's he's Been hired to write uh, Summer Loving, the prequel to Greece, which I cannot endorse in any fiber of my being. Greece doesn't need any kind of a a prequel. But nonetheless, it's script notes, and you can go to johnaugust.com slash or backslash podcast. Johnaugust.com backslash podcast. And that's where you can find script notes, one word, script notes. And uh, it's a podcast that they've been doing for on a weekly basis since 2011, kind of like ours. And I don't know how they have time to keep writing scripts too. But anyway, it's a good podcast, and there's a lot of good stuff on it, especially with respect to the uh, the current situation. So I'd recommend that. Also, got a, uh, got an email from uh, Ally, one of our longtime listeners, uh, which he kind of copied us on all of his uh, complaints. Uh, going through the new Criterion Collection uh, streaming channel, uh, which is now launched. It launched, like, the day after the uh, the Writers Guild and the uh, w- the ATA, the agents, had their uh, little extension. And uh, we're curious. Please email us at gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com and let us know what your experience is. He was having some buffering issues, Al was and uh it seemed to be intermittent might be related to to his ISP but it, it he was saying that he went on to youtube and and some other uh some other streaming channels that did not show the same problems so i've been playing around with the criterion channel now for about oh the last 5 6 days i'm loving it i'm not having any problems but i'm watching it on apple tv and uh that app works beautifully I um, also have an app on Android TV that I've been playing around with, a little less robust, mm-hmm. um, but I have fast internet, so I'm, I'm not necessarily a, a perfect trial case. But I'd love to know if anybody else out there is, is trying it and uh, how it's faring. And by all means, you know if you're in your, with, still within your, your trial month period and there are problems, let the people at Criterion know because there are a lot of kinks and technical glitches that it sometimes takes time to work out. Um, filmstruck didn't really work out it's kinks for about three or four months and uh, you know a lot of these a lot of these services really are are, are just using um, platforms that somebody else wrote so they have to make a lot of their own adjustments over time and that has to do with traffic and uh, subscribership and other things so let us know gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com and use those same two emails for our first giveaway send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com and put Bumblebee in the subject line. And as long as it gets to us by the 22nd, by the 22nd, Monday the 22nd, dated no later than Monday the 22nd, we will select two very lucky people to receive the 4K of Bumblebee, which we reviewed on the last show, uh, courtesy of Paramount. They're going to send you a couple of 4K Bumblebees. Just put Bumblebee in the subject line. And your name and address in the uh, the body of the email, and uh, that will do it. This is limited to people in uh, North America. Only Canada and the U.S., outside the U.S., unfortunately, not eligible as per rules from Paramount. So that is Bumblebee plus name and address to godsdigigods.com, godsatsindygods.com. We'll pick a winner um, by uh, as, uh, no later than the 22nd and uh, let two very lucky people know what Paramount will be sending you. With that, let's get into some titles. Yeah, uh, I'm going to start off with uh, with a, with uh, some cult stuff and uh, kind of culty and cult related stuff. But first, before that, I want to make mention of the. Uh, The release of the Blu-ray, the CineDime Blu-ray for yet another fine Super Bowl. New England Patriots, Super Bowl uh, 53 champions. And uh, what a game it was. There was almost no scoring in this thing. I made fun of everybody who's ever made fun of me for liking soccer. (laughs) There were were fewer touchdowns here (laughs) than uh, there were goals in the last World Cup by a significant margin. So I don't want to hear it anymore. Don't want to hear it anymore at all. Mm-mm. Um it wound up being a thirteen to three
1: victory. Is that like the lowest Super Bowl yeah, yours, score in history? Oh dude, I could I could watching football in nineteen eighty seven after yeah. uh, after Doug Williams won. <laughs> I remember that. Redskins. Yeah. yeah. I remember that game. Yeah. That was a good game. I, I, I tapped out. That yeah. was good. <laughs>
0: And his career kind of ended up yeah. that. They traded him, or he got injured, or something.
1: He got injured. Went down. Coached for several years now in Florida. Well, the Doug had a good one. He was yeah. a really good guy. Yeah.
0: So anyway, uh, no, this is fun. They've got uh, all kinds of extras on here. You know, fun opening night stuff and uh, post game ceremonies and a uh, little look back on NFL highlights. And it, it's really good. And it's on a on a Blu ray. It's fun. It's good. Uh, this is really all you need. I know they come out with these bigger box sets, but this is really all you need. If you're a Patriots fan, especially if you hate the Patriots, you're not going to want this anywhere near you. <laughs> it's just the worst, it the worst thing in your life to oh. keep being reminded of Tom Brady. He just keeps winning Super Bowls, and he's going to be playing until he's 55, and who knows? Yeah. It's going to be crazy, and he's got a hot wife and beautiful kids, and it's like, curse him. Yeah. Horrible man. All right. We also have a couple here from art exploitation films. Uh, these, you know, these are cool, low, like little low-budget genre films. Uh, but they're they're worth checking out. Art exploitation comes up with a lot of interesting stuff that uh, that sort of comes. You know, there's there are thousands of movies that get made every year, and they mm. they don't go to festivals. They don't they, they don't make any screens. They just kind of fall, fall out on DVD. And it's worth checking out some of them. They're fun. There's some really interesting ideas. These people call together a few bucks, and they're able to really stretch a buck and and do some things. Um, Somebody by the name of Bobo Cox, K-O-X, is the writer and director of The Man with the Magic Box. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny because the tagline on this is a stylish Orwellian Gilliam sci-fi thriller. So we've combined Orwellian with Gilliam and it's not Gilliam-esque mm. or Gilliamian. It's just Gilliam. Like, his mm. name is now an adjective. Yeah, it sucks, dude. All right, fair mm. enough. It's kind of weird. But, uh, you know, there it is. Uh, so anyway, this is this is a Polish film. has English subtitles. But it's a cool Polish genre film. And uh, it's, it's about a guy with amnesia who um, travels in, into a, the future. And Warsaw is now this, like, dystopian... Uh, society, and uh, he suddenly now discovers, he slowly starts to recover memories that tell him why he lost his memory and what's happened to the world and you know what happened to him originally. Mm. It's actually quite smart and made on a shoestring, and uh, it's really, really kind of cool, and I dug it. So it's worth checking out. Uh, It wasn't ever going to make a festival anywhere or anything else, but um, check that out. Then we also have Terror 5, uh, Terra Five is a Spanish genre film that is completely off the hook. Sp- Spain makes a lot of these things and has ever since the '60s. You know, the days of uh, Jess Franco. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, genre movies and kind of semi giallo imported Italian stuff. It's very very deep roots in uh, in Spain, and uh, this is from this from the Rotstein brothers, Sebastian and Federico, who have a little bit of an international profile. And uh, it's it's basically like uh, a Jim Jarmusch movie with zombies, which, as it happens, Jim Jarmusch (laughs) Jarmusch just made. He just made a zombie movie and uh, it's going to open the Cannes Film Festival. So uh, the Rothstein brothers were there before he was. Uh, There's a bunch more stuff going on here. You know, there's a whole lot of weird stuff going on, some psychosexual things and whatnot. And um, it's it, it's a you know there's a, like a snuff movie in here and it's it's pretty nasty stuff but uh, for genre fans it's a it's a it's kind of a cool mashup and it doesn't overstay its welcome it's only seventy eight minutes long yeah,
1: that's what I'm talking about
0: right you get in you get out <laughs> it doesn't need to be longer you know those old Charlie Chan movies were only like like yeah, sixty two minutes sixty two yeah, yeah I really love that stuff it's like a TV episode shorter than an episode of Game of Thrones. Uh from trauma, Victor Goodview. Now, like any trauma film, this is just a completely crazed lunatic uh, Lloyd Kaufman indulgence in low budget and, and excess. Um takes place in Yonkers. And uh it's uh, it's about this total deadbeat guy who um winds up uh oh how do I do this without sounding crass? He, he smokes some bad crack. I guess that's the only way I could do it. He smokes himself some bad crack. But is, is it really crack or is it something else? Uh, and what happens is it kind of hops him and the whole movie up in a really, really weird way. And, uh, you know, it's got a Lloyd Kaufman introduction, commentary, deleted scenes. Sometimes feels like they made it up on the fly. They just kind of kept thinking up weirder and weirder stuff. But, oh, yeah. uh, sometimes that works. From the Mondo Macabro line of the Greek collection, volume three, uh, is a movie called The Wild Pussycat, <laughs> which is also on here with a bonus feature of The Deserter. The Wild Pussycat, and what a wild movie it is. Uh, this, is this is a serious trip from 1970 made in Greece by a director named Christos Kafalis. And it's uh, it's English subtitles in Greek, uh, and it is a it's just a really really raw American style exploitation film, except it was made in Greece, and you know it's got pimps and strippers and all that stuff that was kind of uh, de rigueur in the 1960s yeah, in American yeah. exploitation films, except it's a Greek movie, and uh, it's done a little bit artsy. It's not as it's not as faux artsy as the the French and the Swedish stuff was from that period, but it. You know, it's there. Got another trauma film here called *Revenge of the Space Men, which has it. Look at that! Look at that artwork. That's like oh, classic yeah. 1955. Ew. Big old, big-brained alien holding a a woman green. with her green alien, yeah. green-headed alien holding a woman with all kinds, showing all kinds of leg and cleavage. That's just the way they made them. Uh, except this wasn't made back then. This was uh, made in. Uh, Two thousand fourteen, but it really aspires to be one of those nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties styles, and it's just aliens fighting hillbilly kids, and it's just completely bizarre and a total throwback, and it's really kind of fun. I uh it, it's it's worth checking out. This is one of the more accessible trauma films in recent years, directed by JP Summers, uh Revenge of the Spaceman. It's uh it's a it's a good if you've seen Mars Attacks, mm-hmm. This is like Mars Attacks, except not so legit. Uh, from the Redemption line uh, that Kino releases as a further going part of the cinema of Jean Rollin, R-O-L-L-I-N, the famous French uh, exploitation filmmaker, is Dracula's fiancé. Uh, Jean Roland basically made really great kind of uh, uh, horror trash, you know, kind of high art trash and it's oftentimes, as in this one, very overtly Catholicized, and so you know you got nuns and you got vampires, and you let the rest of it just kind of uh, write itself. Uh, there's also Lost in New York on here as a uh, as a bonus, which is not that interesting. That's from 1989, but Dracula's Fiance from uh, 2002, nice little uh, rediscovery, good Blu-ray, and uh, it even has you even have a wolf woman in this. Didn't even know that was a thing. Mm. Uh, Wrapping out the last few here. Blue Movie is a movie by Wim Verstappen. This is from the uh, Cult Epics Library. Cult Epics digs up lots of fun stuff as well. This is a Dutch exploitation movie from 1971. And uh, this also does not overstay its welcome. Uh, This is a little artier than most. This definitely goes into that French and Swedish vein that we talked about where uh it's trash but it's really pretty trash and uh it's actually really really pretty trash it's very very nicely made um uh i I don't want to compare it to i am curious yellow or i am curious blue but it was it was part of a moment in dutch cinema that did something similar which is that it tried to sort of uh push sexual boundaries in an artful way and then internationalize it But here is what makes this so interesting. From 1971, do you know who the cinematographer of Blue Movie, this nice trashy little uh, Dutch nudie was? Take Mm. a stab. Take a stab. Uh,
1: um, Let's see. Uh, uh, Well, let's see. Who are the great ones uh, working around back then? You might know him as the director of Twister. Really? Um, Jan uh, de Bonn. Uh, yeah, Jan. Jan, direct, Jan uh, the cinematographer. There, Jan was the cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. Jan yeah. was the yeah. cinematographer yeah. for years. Yeah. and, and it Speed, Jan and that
0: speed. What, that's what makes it artsy, is yeah. that Jan is, is say I'm going to make it look like a real movie. <laughs> it's not going to look like pornography. I don't do pornography. <laughs> Jan has that... that uh, That's a terrible impression, by the Jan way. But he's, uh, I haven't know. thought
1: about Jan in years.
0: I know. He and he, uh, all those guys kind of... They had their big blockbuster moment, and then they went away. And it, yeah. that's Jan and Verhoeven and and uh, Wolfgang Peterson. Yeah. All those kind of imported Euro big budget blockbustery guys that just made all those big obnoxious movies. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. just went away.
1: Yeah, came in. I mean, made- Verhoeven's it.
0: still doing a thing. Wolfgang Peterson hasn't done anything in years. Yeah. Doesn't want to apparently. The uh, last three here from Severin, Invasion of the Blood Farmers. <laughs> uh, this is on Blu-ray. This is a uh, 1972 classic, only 77 minutes long. You could watch all these in a whole day. Has a commentary with uh, director Ed Adlam and uh, his actress, uh, and, and moderated by uh, an author who has written a book on some of these kinds of films bunch of other little uh, interviews uh well cinema fred elms i should point out uh david Lynch's uh, one-time cinematographer who my wife had worked with um does uh, also a uh, an interview here and 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 talks about this stuff but but here's the thing this movie is called invasion of the blood farmers <laughs> tim artwork
1: yeah Right, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Murders farmers. What is one that I remember with uh, uh, years ago? Where uh, uh, it was one of those movies. I think it was. Um, oh, I'll have to. I'll have to think of it. They were growing human beings. They would catch human beings. They take them. They would plant them in the backyard. I'm I'll, I'll oh, it. Oh gosh, I've seen that. Yeah, it was just the what movie. What is that thing called? No, yeah, I don't think of it. I, uh, I couldn't remember the title.
0: Well, anyway, this this movie was made for twenty four thousand dollars. Nobody got paid. They literally in the notes for this thing, they tell you the cast was paid. In beer. <laughs> Invasion of the Blood Farmers paid its cast with beer. And uh, it is schlocky. It is bloody. It's hilarious. It is truly hilarious. And the thing is, they scanned this from the original negative, and it looks better than I think it's ever looked ever. <laughs> I guarantee you. The first the first print of this that went to a theater was probably scratched to hell by the time it went through the projector once. Uh, <laughs> so you're, you're seeing it... Uh, you're seeing it probably as as good as it's ever going to be seen ever ever. Anyway, it's it's uh, it's quite funny and uh, an early work by Fred Elms, you know, who would go on to do a lot of great stuff for for David Lynch, really talented cinematographer. Uh, also from Severin, Next of Kin, which is a lot more legit. This thing's actually uh, won some international awards, and kind of deservedly so. This was made in 1989. Uh, This is more in the uh, omen slash exorcist realm of supernatural horror. Uh, Came from Australia during the the late Ozploitation era, which kind Mm. of mostly is the 70s, which includes Mad Max and all that kind of stuff. And Mm. gets into a lot of early Peter Jackson and and that as well, but does stretch into the 1980s uh, pretty substantially. And uh, it's it's gory, but it's moody, and it works, and it's very effective. And uh, you know, um, it basically all it's a it's a haunted house thing. It's about a lady inherits retiring uh, a retirement home, and then of course turns out that you know it's not just a retirement home; it's got all kinds of history and issues. Um, but it's 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 worthwhile, and one of the Tangerine Dream guys does a pretty eerie score, and it's got some really great imagery, and uh, it's worth checking out. So a bunch of extras on this as, as well, including a commentary with the director, Tony Williams, and the producer, Tim White. Another commentary with uh, some cast members and uh, deleted scenes, extras, trailers, uh, and an alternate opening from the German release, which isn't as interesting as it sounds. It's just there. And then lastly, on DVD only from the Nikatsu Erotic Films collection is uh, Lolita Vibrator Torture. That's an impulse release. Mm. Uh, All of these Nikatsu erotic releases are basically pretty much the same. This is about a guy who kidnaps schoolgirls and then uh, takes them back and does horrible things to them. There is nothing redeeming about this, but there's an audience in Japan for this stuff and presumably uh, outside Japan as well. This is from 1987, kind of on the late stage stage. The late end of these Nikatsu things, but you know, kind of sick stuff. I mention it only because I am a river to my people, and uh, <laughs> I know there are some really deranged listeners of this show uh, that will appreciate it. But I, I can't really recommend it. It's a
1: genre for a reason. Yes, it is. It's a genre.
0: For yes, a it reason. is. All right, Tim. Uh, let's let's burrow into some uh, new movies. A, a few
1: new movies. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, let's start. This is interesting because I, I just noticed a cover of these uh two DVDs, the Steve Coogan uh John C. Raleigh f- film, uh Stan and Ollie, which I think, yeah. you know, uh, end of the season uh, yeah. the award season, people people and there was some good stuff in this movie. Basically the story of a late tour uh that uh, uh Laurel and Hardy took uh through the UK. Yeah. Uh well after their sort of film and early d- days of success uh had ended. Uh the ladies in this movie who play their wives completely and totally steal this film. They do. Uh they're just absolutely uh, the the uh, uh, the, act- the
0: actress who plays uh uh Stan Laurel's Russian wife yeah. whose name I'm I'm forgetting the, right well, now. Well
1: there's Nina Ariana and Shirley Henderson. It's Nina Ariana. Uh, yeah, and she's she just so funny.
0: Wipes the, the floor of this movie she just cleans up she has all the best lines all the best moments she is so outrageously funny she's the reason to, get to see it I yeah. mean their impression of Laurel and Hardy is great but she steals the movie
1: yeah but and they are more or less doing these sort of impressions of Laurel and Hardy yeah. and then sort of behind the scenes Steve Coogan has some stuff in this movie was full of pathos he was, yeah. still, he was the one who wrote all that stuff by the way Yeah, he was, uh, the, genius. was, he was the genius behind it. Yeah. all those little bits and timed them all out and all that kind of stuff so anyway it was a fairly funny and, 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 and moving movie Movie, uh, and if you're fans of that, you might you might enjoy it. Uh, the box of that is almost exactly the same. I know, is that the crazy box for for Holmes and Watson, which is not funny. Uh, which is not funny. <laughs> also, John C. Riley but Will Ferrell playing Sherlock Holmes uh, in this film, "Weapons of Mass Deduction." Uh, you look, it's 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 a goofy Sherlock Holmes uh, movie, which uh, just didn't hit the mark. And what's
0: interesting about that is that uh, Will Ferrell has officially severed his relationship amicably mm-hmm. with his longtime partner, who directed the next movie you're going to be talking about, by Adam McKay. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean
1: they've been doing things together for years and years and years and
0: years. Yeah. Ricky Bobby and everything else. But the big, Adam, the big Will Ferrell comedies. Adam, Adam McKay is an Oscar winner now. He yeah. wants to make real movies.
1: Yeah, and 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 you have the big short, of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, this uh, the Will Ferrell uh, Holmes Watson thing, kind of funny, uh, but not really particularly good. A few special features on that and then we have vice a movie that was bumping around during awards season christian bale and amy adams and steve carell and sam rockwell all giving really really good performances mm-hmm. in this movie this movie is not all that good <laughs> no it's uh, not uh, 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 it, 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 people want to compare it to the big short but it doesn't really
0: no because because the, the, the big short was uh, the big short looked at an actual event and, and, and to, it stitched together several interesting storylines that were all based in actual individuals who all benefited from mm-hmm. the financial collapse, because, because they, they understood all shorted what was it. going on. Yeah. They understood what was going on. And that's what was interesting about it, is that it was a look at the financial crisis through a, a web of interconnected, but dis- discreet, real stories. This is just all um I'm going to try to get inside Dick Cheney's head and just I'm going to make a bunch of stuff up and uh yeah. and have fun with it. And and, and that's not interesting. Because that's... I have a
1: particular set of opinions about Dick Cheney and that administration and yeah. and and uh and uh, and, just, and that's not interesting. It's uh, a goodar film. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's Adam McKay's Godard film.
1: You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's look, I'm not, and I'm not a fan of Dick Cheney, but, but this movie is not, that movie is you, not a uh, documentary about Dick Cheney. Well, no. You don't you, know anything about Dick Cheney. You don't come away knowing anything about
0: Dick Cheney that you didn't know before. If you go into the movie being a Dick Cheney fan, it's going to just piss you off more. Yeah. If you go into the movie hating Dick Cheney, it's probably going to make you more sympathetic to him because you're going to feel sorry for him for that he was exploited in such a kind of a, a, an adolescent way. Mm. It's not instructive. It doesn't even try to be instructive. It just sort of goes neener-neener. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I don't know why they... I mean, it got, it got a lot of Oscar nominations, I think largely because, A, Christian Bale really does a very good impression, mm-hmm. not, not, not much of a performance, and, B, um, it's, a, it's a hell of an editing job. I yeah, mean, it's still not a good movie, but it's really quite well put together. Uh, it's it's a you know it's an impressive from a from a craftsmanship standpoint. But yeah, what are you gonna do? Uh,
1: um, uh, welcome to Marwan, man. This oh, movie really gosh. tanked so hard. This movie lost sixty million dollars. I know uh, at the box office. Steve Carell's film from Bob Zemeckis adaptation um, from, or from or Marwan movie, call Marwan call a documentary about yeah. this actual person. And what happened to young, he was a man who was beaten by these people who found out that he was sort of like a cross-dressing uh, sort of guy, beaten very, very severely. He was a photographer. And in order to deal with that, he created this sort of psychological and, and actual physical uh, little universe who he would, uh, where he would um, uh, go into. And he, would, he built all these little things and took pictures of them with the dolls. This movie portends to take us inside his mind where all of yeah. these things sort of Come to life, sort of, as little dolls, and it's my
0: problem with this is that Bob Zemeckis, who is a very talented director, let's remember Bob Zemeckis, you know, had had his heyday in the '80s, and then he devolved into all of this uh, motion capture nons- nonsense. Yeah. Uh, which he thought was like the, 80s, the 90s, new thing. yeah yeah uh, it was you know. and you know with the 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 polar polar Express and, uh, and all the rest yeah, of that nonsense. Beowulf and Be- uh, oh, it's horrible and and then he couldn't sort of nobody really caught his vision for all this n- motion capture stuff so then he came back
1: and he made flight mm-hmm. and you know what flight is a hell of a movie yeah because it's a movie with Denzel Washington and other human beings uh, and a script you know yeah.
0: and and it's not all about the effects the crash is the least interesting thing in that movie yeah um I mean he clearly has fun with it but once the crash is out of the way there's no more cgi there's no motion capture it's just you got a great actor and you're letting him act and you're dealing with real issues and alcoholism and all this other stuff and it's a hell of a movie and now he look, he's he, he reverted again and he looked at marwin call and he thought he didn't think oh this is an interesting character to explore he thought Look at those miniatures. I can do something with that technology. I could, I could bring Mocap back and I could Mocap the hell out of yeah. all those little miniatures. And it's like that's approaching it the wrong way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He had this deal with, uh, I think it was HP back in the day. Oh, to, really? To, to, to create, uh, you know, because he did all of that stuff. Everybody yeah. else is working it. So, anyway, uh, uh. this movie doesn't work at all, Marwan Cole. And, um, uh, there, and there are a whole lot of reasons why. A dog's way home, uh, which yeah. is based on this novel, is kind of sweet. You've yeah. got, you got Dallas Bryce Howard voicing uh, yeah. you know, this dog as he makes this 400 journey. Gets separated. It's sweet, perfectly lovely little sweet movie. Tired uh, of, you know, there's no bingy. Of... It's, it's no bingy. I'm,
0: no ta- I'm tired of dog movies that where dogs talk and run away and make <laughs> friends. Well, you know how so I feel like, about you know. They all do this. They're all the same. Right. I, mean, I mean, what's the audience for these movies now? Is there still an audience? Or... Uh moms and little kids, girls and who, yeah, little right. that, that kind of thing. Whatever. Uh, you got one over? Yeah, we've got uh, no alternative, uh, which is, uh, a, a relative, uh, is a a relative. This is a kind of a, a surprising come from behind movie for me. Uh, I I'm, I was vaguely aware of this, in, uh, I think the early part of last year when it was when it was around. It's directed by William Dickerson, who calls also co wrote it. Um, but it's, uh, it's an interesting 90s. It's funny that we're looking at the 90s as a period era. Mm. This is basically a look, at, you know, we've had all these movies about the new wave scene in the 80s. Yeah. This is kind of about, this is a coming of age film set in the grunge scene of the 90s.
1: Yeah, uh, Kurt and, Cobain and all that. All that
0: stuff. And, uh, you know, it's about the starting of a bunch of teenagers and starting of a band right after Kurt Cobain
1: has killed himself. And um, you oh, know, I remember that movie. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 he has that little sister, but the little sister wants to do hip hop exactly, and she starts doing right. hip hop, which is also a thing that was sort of happening there. But you know, a little white girl Br- doing hardcore, hip right? Bride to bee yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, that's, yeah. Her, that's her hip hop name, yeah. Bride to be,
0: and uh, you know, it's kind of a snapshot of that moment in time and a certain musical moment, Um, it's not bad. Yeah, it's I really like not bad. It's uh, it's got some. So it's got a cool little cool little vibe to it. Uh, and then we also have MFKZ,
1: which is an animated that, film that was so weird. The little, with the little alien, half alien kid. He's like it's, solid black, and he has the little friend with the flaming skull head.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of an outrageous uh, move from, from, uh, from uh, several different animators, but um, specifically the group uh, Ankama Animations. And uh, Studio 4C, uh, this is released by G Kids through Universal, who's doing all the animation stuff. But basically, these are the people uh, who'd done things like uh, Tekken uh, in Crete. And uh, the animatrix, and they're kind of going a little bit out of control here. It feels like a <laughs> resume piece. It feels like they're just going really, really overboard to say we can do this. We, this is our style.
1: And they're out of their element. These are a bunch of French and and yeah. and and, and, and there's a hodgepodge. And, and this is a and this is a movie that's set in a sort of like urban American environment yeah. with kids who are supposed to be like. Ostensibly black and Latino, but yeah. they're not because they're half alien. And... <laughs> it's, it's
0: a yeah, it's a thing. Uh, but there's some good voice uh, work on here: uh, Giancarlo Esposito, Michael Chiklis, Danny Trejo, and my favorite, the Reza.
1: Yeah, Glass. So, uh, do you, uh, tell me how do you believe? How do you feel about? So here's about how this I feel about
0: Glass trilogy. I don't think it was a trilogy. It wasn't a trilogy. It wasn't a trilogy. Was he
1: thinking about this no. movie 20x years no. ago when he made? No, unbreakable. He he wasn't thinking about
0: this when he made the last one. Even split. No, he didn't. He 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 made unbreakable, Mm -hmm. and then he made split for Blumhouse. Yeah, and then he thought, hey, I'll bet I could connect those two. I'll make it. I'll pretend it's a trilogy. I'll I'll write a new movie and I'll mm. just insert the split world into the world of Glass and Unbreakable, and I'll get Sam and and Bruce to come back and reprise their parts. Except it'll be really really low budget Blumhouse, and it'll be boring and drab, and it'll complete. Look, I didn't want I didn't want a a sequel mm. to Split. I wanted something that returned me to the universe of Unbreakable, of Unbreakable. which this does not do. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. does yeah. not do. It's if, if you're if you like his movies. You like Unbreakable. You really like Unbreakable. That's where it kind of all comes it's together. It's my favorite
1: M. Night movie. By far. I mean, The, the Sixth Sense is, is, is fantastic, but it's one watch. But but yeah, that's it. it yeah. Once you know the gimmick, it's, you're done. With that. You're done. But Unbreakable, you can... though, there is a universe there. I can watch that over and over and over. Which one can imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it's a dramatic film, too. It's not an action. That's, that's it. the thing about Unbreakable. People make a mistake of thinking that it's an action drama. No. no. No, Unbreakable is drama. a drama. Uh, it's drama, as opposed to as opposed to this. Yep. Anyway, this is Glass, of course, ostensibly the third uh, installment in that trilogy, but it really, really isn't. Uh, 4K Ultra, all kinds of special. Uh, this is a two disc set, yep. all kinds of stuff, including alternative opening and deleted scenes on this disc. So for people who are fans, yeah. and want to get into the universe, all kinds of great stuff on here to be had.
0: I still feel that that universe is viable. I think he can revisit it again. I think he can expand on it, but he's got to get away from the Blumhouse thing. Mm. He's made this unholy alliance, this Faustian bargain with Blumhouse. He's done and, two
1: of these uh, little horror movies with. Yeah, movies,
0: yeah. and they and, and he kind of owes them because they gave him a chance to go low budget and to make some movies that made money again, as mm. opposed to this, you know, getting out of his element. They've they've disciplined him a bit, but that's not the. It's 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 it it's got to stop. It's too much. So uh, Patrick Stewart plays Merlin in this weird kind of uh, Arthurian version of Spy Kids called The Kid Who Would Be King. Uh, and uh, it's it's okay. It's on 4K for some reason. I don't think kids really care about 4K, so I'm a mm. little surprised that this uh, came out of Fox uh, on 4K. But maybe that's the new Disney influence. I don't know. Uh, this, uh, this is arguably from... The pre-Disney regime. But still, Uh, Patrick Stewart's perfectly fine as Merlin. And, uh, you know, um, the idea of kids kind of in in a modern-day Arthurian uh, adventure. I guess you could even say it's like Explorers or Goonies, Mm. you know, Spy Kids. It's kind of trying to do all that with with an Arthurian, a modern-day Arthurian angle, the kid who would be king. Look, they're, they're cool kids, and it's it's fine, and it's competently made, but ultimately it's really rather silly, and it has a bunch of featurettes, and it's not that interesting. Movies Anywhere, uh, if you want to add it to your Movies Anywhere library, if your kids actually do love it, but otherwise I would say uh, rent it first, see if you're interested, and if you just got to have it
1: on 4K, the kid would be king. <laughs> if you just got to have it on 4K. A couple from Breaking Glass from the uh, LGBT uh, uh, community. Uh the first one is really terrible. Uh, uh it's called it's called <laughs> the Devil's Path. It's just this goofy movie. They could have been better. So it, it basically it's set uh, it's set in the early 90s uh uh on this trail in this wilderness park where gay guys would go cruising and cruising all the gay guys go you know walk after the show, you can cruise other gay guys uh for sex and and uh, and, and whatnot. This particular instance uh, the trail. Uh, on the trail, there's a serial killer, or at least something dark and sort of uh, menacing. On the trail, there are victims. People are going missing. These two guys uh, find themselves being stalked and then eventually chased by whatever it is that's in the woods, uh, killing all the gay guys. Um. Uh. And you know that in and of itself is actually sort of interesting. You know, it's fine. It's different. This movie is so full of such dumb dialogue and stupid plot holes and people doing. Uh, uh ridiculous things uh, uh, uh re- re- retarded conversations uh that happen at, that, that just makes it a mess it's, you have yeah. a perfectly good, decent idea for a movie and then you make a mess out of it nevertheless it features the audio commentary uh by the filmmakers now the other one from breaking glass is called honey glue and it's really really just a perfectly lovely uh lovely sweet film about this woman uh, who finds out that she's got about three months to live, and she uh, pulls the, the the string on her ordinary life, hooks up with this uh, sort of a gender bending transvestite guy, and they go on an adventure together. And it's and it's just as beautiful uh, a movie as you ever would want to see. Um, kind of reminded me of Motorcycle Diaries, mm-hmm. if not even an older movie. A wonderful what was the name of that movie? Oh, nice Whoopi Goldberg and. Oh, no, yeah. you, um, Boys on the Side was the name of the movie. I Hunter remember F- that. From. Yeah, it was this lovely, lovely, sweet movie. She, she, she finds out she's HIV positive and all that kind of stuff. This lives right in that zone, and it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Wonderfully shot, beautifully acted. A lot of faces of uh, uh, character actors that you will know uh, in this movie. Uh, bonus features include some deleted scenes. James Bird uh, directing Honeyglue from Breaking Glass.
0: Got a couple uh, we 're going to go to some classic movies now uh, or some some other recent stuff, but the uh, the most important stuff I want to get right into here, and this is not classic, but this is one is recent one is new and one is semi recent both of them from Cohen full disclosure we 've done co- audio commentaries for Cohen, Tim mm-hmm. and I have uh, We like the people at cohen they're they 're sharp and they have a great library and great taste and in two thousand and seventeen, they released the Aspirin papers from the uh, Henry James novella. Um, most of the Henry James stuff typically on screen has been associated with Merchant Ivory. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of that in the 70s and the 80s. 80s yeah. uh, and, but there are a few that, that obviously were made later and outside their uh, purview and uh, continue to be made. And you know what? This is actually really quite good. Uh, Jonathan Rhys-Meyers, Jolie Richardson, and the remarkable Vanessa Redgrave, Jolie Richardson's mom, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: star in this. And uh, it is it is just wonderful Victorian Henry James Stuff. It really is. Um, it, has a, a certain, um, it has a certain. It has a certain merchant ivory quality to it. Uh, very, very well, uh, nicely put together. Very uh, erudite and elegant, uh, courtesy of director Julian Landais. Um But what's interesting is this is uh, also based on a uh, on an adaptation. They say it's based on the on Jean-Pavans scenic adaptation of the Aspirin Papers. I have not been able to confirm exactly what that scenic adaptation is. Mm. I found that to be really an interesting uh, thing. So obviously there was, there's some intermediary piece uh, that inspired this movie, other than just the novella itself. But um, you know what? As, as as a as a kind of a, a Victorian soap opera, it's in a study certainly of uh, of obsession and. Uh, and you know all kinds of other lovelorn issues. It's really quite good. It's one of the more interesting uh, James adaptations, and um, uh, it it has a it has a real fascinating history to it that you find out more about on the with the making of featurette. And uh, James Ivory is on here as well, so he's obviously given this something of a blessing. The other uh, Cohen piece this week, the other Cohen release, is Blu-ray of *The Great Buster*, a celebration, which is a wonderful, award-winning documentary on Buster Keaton by Peter Bogdanovich. When you are Peter Bogdanovich, let's let let us mm. let us take a moment of pride here. Peter Bogdanovich started as a film critic; he was mm-hmm. a film critic for *Esquire*, mm-hmm. and uh, Roger Corman gave him a chance to become a filmmaker, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. But Peter Bogdanovich is still having been a good friend of Orson Welles and having been a film critic, he is still a scholar of cinema. Mm -hmm. And so he brings both a film critic and a filmmaker's eye to the genius of Buster Keaton. And uh, he is, because he is Peter Bogdanovich, he is able to recruit every damn person under the sun to offer their insights and appreciations and thoughts about Buster Keaton. And, I mean, it goes deep. He's got Mel Brooks. He's got... Uh, Quentin Tarantino and Werner Herzog and Carl Reiner and on and on and on. Ben Mankiewicz, Leonard Maltin, our good friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just Dick Van Dyke. Everybody shows up in here. Norman Lloyd, who you know is still hanging on yeah. by a thread. Yeah. Uh, is he a hundred yet,
1: Norman Lloyd? Norm- yeah, Norman's Norman's. No. Norman is might a, might, have, might have passed one hundred. Gee whiz,
0: incredible. Um, so I mean, this is really just the this is the ultimate tribute to. Uh, to one of the greatest filmmakers and film talents ever, the great Buster, a celebration. Uh, won an award at the Venice Film Festival, and uh, it's just superb. I, I can't recommend this highly enough. If you even own anything by Buster Keaton, you got to have this as well. I'm going to make my daughter watch this so she appreciates it. Nin-
1: 1914.
0: <sighs> man. That's when he was born. 19- he's 105, 19- and he's still freaking working. Yeah. He's still a production designer. Yeah. You're 105-year-old man. There is a man... Designing movies today, uh, right now, uh, who was born in the year that World War I began? Yeah. I just want everybody
1: to understand that—that's <laughs> just absolutely crazy. Oh, Pamela Anderson and Barbed Wire. I remember this movie from nineteen ninety-six. Pamela uh, back back when comic movies didn't yeah. hadn't figured it out yet. Yeah, they, quite, they hadn't quite yeah. figured it out yet. Uh, Jack Noseworthy in the film. Anyway, it, you know, if 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 you, if you remember Pamela from those days, I think this would have been right after yeah. her time on that sitcom with Tim Allen yeah. uh, that, sort of, that sort of made her little career there after a little uh, Playboy. Well, where do, where, do, where do all the Playboy models go? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Pamela's fantastic in this, in this perfectly silly movie that doesn't really work, but she gets to wear that outfit, that bustier, and carry that gun uh, and ride that motorcycle, and you can't really go wrong with that, so what the heck. Uh, not much on here by, the way, by way of uh, special features. Roger Ebert liked that movie back in the day. The Rundown which featured uh, the, the Dwayne, uh, the walk, Johnson, who he was still just, uh, The Rock, and Sean William Scott. This might be the last real, no, actually, he made those hockey movies that, that were pretty good. I was, I was about to say, this might be the re- last real subtle of like. A-list Sean William Scott movie, you know, American Pie and all yeah. those movies he was in all those days back then. This was a fun movie that I liked quite a lot, Christopher Walken in it uh, and Rosario Dawson. Um. Um. Uh, this does not have b- much on it by way of special features in it, but you know what? The Rock still had hair <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, I this know. Has has I hair. know. It's crazy, right? <laughs> uh, and, and that movie's kind of. i cool. forgot
0: <laughs> uh, that. That's not. That's a really underrated movie. It uh, is. It's
1: funny, and Sean yeah. William Scott is the funniest thing yeah. in that movie. He's just, he's, he just he he kind of walks away with it in the way that Joe Pesci did in that. I know. First, a Lethal Weapon film. Uh, when he just sort of swooped into the movie, it was just the funniest thing you ever did to see. Crackdown, Big City Blues. Directed by Paul De Silva, uh, and uh, Just an in-depth look at the crack ep- ep- epidemic in 1990s New York City. Uh, they, were, they, they did a series of these, of these films. And they really are absolutely powerful and moving. Um, and also uh, extremely elucidating uh, yeah. uh, regarding, regarding that particular issue. Um, uh, so check it out. 1990, 92 minutes long. The Stand-In with Leslie Howard and Joan uh, Blondell. What's funny about this movie, which is uh, from 1937. It's a it's a movie about this uh, about this efficiency expert that goes comes out to Hollywood to take a look at this uh, this movie studio and see whether or not uh, the movie studio can be saved. The bank wants to sell the movie studio and he and he thinks he can fix it and what's neat about this movie is uh, Humphrey Bogart, Third Bill. No kidding, Third Bill. That's it's, funny. It's uh, Leslie. See, and you got to work your way up every 19, step of the way. 1937. God, he was so good looking. Look the stand-in. Very funny movie directed by Tay Garnett uh again only a 90-minute movie uh neat so funny joan Blondell. oh my goodness stop it
0: and we should say uh with great sadness that as we are recording this uh breaking news that notre dame is on fire Mm. and we've got it on the television behind us it's obviously not going to be breaking news when this podcast goes yeah nevertheless this is
1: the thing that has to be marked you were telling me that there's a problem in paris
0: Yeah, there has been a spate of an epidemic of uh, Catholic church burnings, arson burnings of Catholic churches all through this year. It hasn't really been reported elsewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been kind of not deemed sufficiently important because when you light a a church on fire in a small French town or a relatively middle modest city, it's not newsworthy unless it's Notre Dame mm. and uh, of course you
1: spend a lot of time there yeah uh, and have connections yeah uh, uh, yeah to paris Christie goes all the time yeah, yeah. my sister happens to be there right now the grief you uh, should, you and, should, uh, wow. that's striking That is striking yeah
0: me. i mean there the it's the oh look at that that is just heartbreaking that is horrible absolutely horrible mm. this is really upsetting wow well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I it's I don't even know what to say. It's kind of puts a damper on the rest of the show. Well, you know, we, but uh don't wanna, we will, didn't want to let that go unnoticed. We uh we will endeavor to uh carry on as best we can and uh, and see what uh what happens here. But uh you know, the stone structure is it will obviously not burn, but that leaves a wood structure that is rather con- still considerable
1: and all the uh, all the ephemerals the relics the papers, art, the art paintings artwork. art yeah yeah, yeah. The tapestries that that's the stuff uh, that you know a thousand year old tap- that's uh, no, uh, that's almost a thousand year old building not yeah. quite but you know. yeah
0: yeah well from the uh from the important to the ridiculous <laughs> uh, go to a couple of films from the eighties. Um by Andy Sidaris. Now Andy Sidaris is one of those guys who uh back in the eighties m- was able to become kind of a kind of a schlock auteur. Uh he would write, direct, uh do everything on all of these uh these kind of schlocky action movies that oftentimes had kind of a you know, a little TNA and a little beach and a little beefcake and uh you know, women with guns, guys with guns, guys with lots of muscles, and women with lots of cleavage. That's what they were. Those things were all the rage in the '80s. They mm-hmm. were all over the, um, they were all over the American film market. When I first started going to the American film market, that was all I saw. And these movies include uh, *Hard Ticket to Hawaii* and *Malibu Express*. And you know, both of them have basically the same artwork on the cover, which is a dude with a gun. Flanked by a couple of hot women, and in one of them, <laughs> the hot women have guns. So that's yeah. what it was all about.
1: Those are the really good ones. Yeah. yeah,
0: beefcakes and hunks and and hot women. Uh, look, these movies are absolutely ridiculous. One of them is set in Hawaii, uh, and the other one is is set in Malibu. And uh, it's just it's it's just about men being men, women being women, and somebody's got a gripe. And next thing you know, cars start exploding, and somebody's running off with diamonds or you know, uh, trying to hijack a computer company or some crazy thing. None of it really makes any sense. It's all just about showing off skin. But Hard Hard Ticket to Hawaii and Malibu Express, they are artifacts of an era, and as a result, they are somewhat meaningful. Andy Sidaris does an intro on both of them, as well as audio commentary, featurettes, and trailers. And, uh, you know, they were taken from their original masters. It doesn't mean they were very well photographed at the time, but Mm -hmm. they are what they are. Uh also HP Lovecraft's The Unnameable. Uh this is part of the Unearthed Classics line from uh, MVD. And this was made in 1988. Same general era has kind of a kind of a certain 80s uh, exploitation feel to it. I wouldn't say it's all that much of a Lovecraft adaptation. Most of the adaptations of Lovecraft don't have much to do with Lovecraft. Mm. But um the uh it's all about a uh you know like it's like kind of a gothic vampire haunted house thing with some uh, college students who are you know going to spend a night in this allegedly haunted house to disprove that it's haunted and really all that ever happens is craziness happens and that's the way it always goes. Uh but uh you know for for an 80s level 80s era mid-level horror film uh it's okay. It's 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 fine. It doesn't it's not offensively bad. It's not terribly good and it's got a bunch of interviews on it and uh it's a nice new transfer. Um some, you know, uh photos and trailers as well. So there it is, The Unnameable. Uh
1: I have here Roadhouse 2. Um, which not is not with Patrick Swayze. Not with Patrick. Which is 1989. The reason why this is funny to me is because I actually worked on that first Roadhouse movie, 1989. Patrick Swayze, uh, Rowdy Harrington film. Patrick's playing the sort of philosopher bouncer, uh, but you know he could kick your butt, but he could uh, explain to you exactly why he was kicking your butt uh, when he was doing that. This uh, movie here from 19, from 2000. When did they make this movie? Back in 2006. Yeah. Uh, It's supposed to be about uh, um, uh, that character, Doc's uh, son, uh, who's an undercover officer in New York, and he finds out that his uncle, uh, who has this bar down in Louisiana, is being sort of rousted by these bad guys, and he goes down there to do what his... Uncle Patrick, I can't remember whether or not Patrick was still with us when this movie got made, but you know, it's it's an interesting sort of thing to do. Uh when you 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 look back over the history of of a company's few movies and you figure out, you know what? If we can, if we grab the the story out of the middle yeah. of that movie and we and we right. do this and we do that and, we, and the next thing you know and it's a sun and you make yourself a roadhouse too. Um uh, started John, Jonathan Jonathan Sachi, Jake Busey, Will Patton, one of those kind of things. Not much on here. This is not a very good movie either. But I did enjoy that first road house movie. That was a lot of fun.
0: The, the first one was good. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, Joe Camp's Benji off the lease. Benji is back. You know, they keep making, they make these Benji movies. Benji, I think the original Benji movies goes back to the 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe like the middle 70s. That very first Benji. Yeah. Uh And uh, th- that family, that family of filmmakers, every so often they get out the camera and they find themselves a the little dog. And they go out and make make themselves one of these bingey movies. Um, I, I, I did not see this movie, but I remember reviewing it, it being reviewed on the show with Christy mm-hmm. Lemire, who has a yeah. little son, of course. Yeah. And I remember her saying very specifically that her son Love this movie. Really? So we're going to go ahead and take the recommendation of that. Okay. Um, I'll,
0: I'll, if Nicholas says so, then I'm, I'm on Team Nicholas. Let's go with it. Sure.
1: Audio commentary from the director and the producer and the composers and a few other people.
0: Uh, I want We're going to do a, a giveaway. We have one Blu-ray to give away of The Whole Wide World. And uh, this is a very special movie. This is our first coverage of a title from Multicom. Mm. Uh, so I want to give a little shout out to Multicom, who we now have a relationship with. Uh, Multicom also runs The Archive and The Grapevine, uh, which you should know about. The, uh, the Archive uh, deals with unearthed, salvaged, discovered, and restored Hollywood independent films and classic television program programs. Uh, and it's it's a it's a channel, it's a streaming channel dedicated to aficionados and lovers of uh, of all things classic Hollywood, everything from you know Boris Karloff to John Wayne and on and on and on, right to the present day, and uh, the Grapevine is primarily focused on documentaries and unscripted shows and uh, and TV specials and uh, reality-oriented stuff. Uh, so they are uh, they are an up-and-coming company, and the Whole Wide World is a great get for them. The Whole Wide World was a Dan Ireland movie. Uh, that basically brought Renee Zellweger to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it, it came out roughly around the same time as uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry Maguire, which really broke her through, mm-hmm. but it was made before. This was really a discovery. You know, Renee Zellweger was a discovery of Dan Ireland, as was Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. Dan Ireland, of course, a great independent filmmaker, passed away a few years ago, and uh, Mark and I had the privilege of interviewing him on the uh, Stupid for Movies show that we did for a few years. And uh, he was a wonderful guest and just a delightful guy and uh, really just a, a pleasure to talk to and know. And it's such a, such a huge loss that he's gone. But he leaves a great filmography. And The Whole Wide World is really one of, the, one of his very best, best films. It's on Blu-ray and it is the story of the romance that a young school teacher had with Robert E. Howard who of course was the creator of Conan the Barbarian and many mm-hmm. other great pulp novels and uh, uh, there haven't hasn't a lot of people don't really know much about Howard's life it's a very it's kind of a sad unfortunate sheltered life and um, you know this is uh, this is a really great look inside a create a troubled creative mind played by Vincent D'Onofrio uh playing Robert E. Howard and uh, Renee Zellweger obviously playing uh Novaline, his his you know, the school teacher who sees something in him that others don't. And uh it's a it's a really sweet period romance with all kinds of great edges to it. It's on Blu-ray from Multicom, and we're gonna give one away. Send us an email to godsdigigods.com or gods at cinegods.com. Put the word world. In the subject line and your name and address in the body of the email, and uh, we will by the twenty second choose a very lucky winner, and courtesy of Multicom sends you a uh, a Blu Ray of the Whole Wide World. Um, but really, it is a it's a wonderful movie. Renee Zellweger uh, came on strong in Jerry Maguire as a romantic, um, you know, cute girl opposite Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. There you go. And uh, You Had Me at Hello. Everybody knows that. Yeah. But what she does here is she's playing a character. She's not just being a romantic lead. She's not just kind of borrowing from Tom Cruise's glow. She's really, she's got the, the, the period on. She's got everything there. You, you see the actress who would eventually go on to win an Academy Award um, very clearly uh, emerging. She's just absolutely wonderful. And so is, frankly, D'Onofrio. Uh, brings a lot of pathos to a very kind of troubled and disturbed guy.
1: Right. So. Well, the, the, the velocity of Gary. Yeah, right. You uh, know, Frio and uh, yeah. Dan Irons, uh, the Film after yeah. that film, as a matter of fact. Yeah, uh, Selma Hayek, early Selma Hayek. No, no, he's Tom he, he, he Lilliby did Lilliby so many. That, yeah. He
0: did so many really, really fine movies, and it's just so they sad lost, that he's yeah, not with yeah. us anymore. Um, you know, Living Living Proof was a movie he made in two thousand eight. Jolene was the oh, movie Jolene, where he yeah. where he discovered Jessica Chastain. That was her her first film, two thousand eight as well. So very sad. But a great movie. All right, uh, let, you know, here's a couple from Arrow. I'm gonna give you. A, we've got uh, Franco Nero in Kioma. He did not only do Django, uh, and uh, this is kind of a similar sort of a thing. Um, it plays about a you know plays a half breed gunfighter uh, after the Civil War who's um, just being a badass, and you know there that's what it is. It's uh, directed by Enzo Castellari, and it is yet another. Um, uh spaghetti western of in the same vein as django it's basically a django movie that's not called django and uh it's got woody strode and it's it's got a you know it's I, i'd say it's mid level uh of that genre lots of extras as we are getting from the arrow right now really loaded up with interviews and uh commentaries and the and the com the commentary there's one commentary track here with spaghetti western uh scholars it's very 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 good um and then, all, obviously, all the international trailers. The film from Arrow that I was surprised to get and I'm very excited to get is uh, Takashi Mike's Terraformars. Takashi Mike makes more movies than anybody has a right to make. He just keeps cranking them out. I don't understand how or why, but uh, this is from 2016. Uh, takes place a few decades from now, although the technology is not even going to be anywhere close to to being realistic within the next couple of decades. Uh, And uh, the ever-eccentric, ever-prolific Mike is uh, here dealing with a science fiction scenario where we are overcrowded on Earth, so we're trying to now overcrowd Mars. And um, there's a a problem on Mars, which is that... um, we have introduced cockroaches to mars mm. and uh it it's uh it it creates problems because now the cockroaches have morphed they've evolved and what they've evolved into is absolutely ridiculous mm. they've like turned into you know transformers it's it's just insane uh it's a ridiculous idea it's based on a manga I don't know that it was ever turned into an anime, but it's really kind of uh, silly and crazy and mad all at the same time in that classic Mike way. But you know what? It's a Mike film. It's worth checking out. It's completely bonkers. I had heard about this, hadn't seen it. It's mad. It's absolutely insane. A lot of interviews on here and some making-up stuff as well.
1: Uh, the Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, uh, which is actually just a, one of the most fun kind of goofy movies you could possibly ever think of. Basically, it's a uh, Peter Cushing as Van Helsing. Uh, he, he he travels to the Orient uh, to help a uh, seven siblings brothers trained in kung fu and the martial arts uh, try to kill the vampires that have taken their family home on the mountain. Uh, so we got a vampire movie set. <laughs> <and> Sweet, <laughs> it is. Love just, it. It's just. It's anyway, new two K scan from the original film elements in the knowledge of commentary. Uh, from uh, film historian Bruce, Bruce Hollenbeck. Uh, it's just really, it's just, just a heck of a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, martial arts and vampires, man. Can't go wrong. There long. you go. All about it. <laughs> uh, Superstition. This is a 1982 film. Uh, most interesting because the producer was uh, Mario Casar. Uh, oh, yeah. Andy Vanya and Mario, Vanya and and Mario and Those guys, you know, totally yeah. recall all that stuff back through the 90s. So, you know, that's kind of where they got they started with this concept. Kind of this is about a witch uh, who was killed um, wrongly in the 1600s, and she returns uh, to the present day, present day uh, being 1982, to uh, wreak havoc on the descendants of those who killed her. A lot of fun in that particular way. Special features. Uh, Again, uh, uh, I love the fact that they do these 2K scans from the original film elements with these. And uh, an interview with the director, James Robertson, and uh, the lead actor, James Houghton. Not
0: bad. Got three Criterion's here, two from Jim Jarmusch, who obviously is uh, is hot again because he's uh, he's got a zombie movie with Bill Murray and, and opening Cannes Film Festival. Um, so they uh, are ever ever keen to the Zeitgeist Criterion has given us new Blu-ray editions of Night on Earth and Stranger Than Paradise. Stranger yeah. Than Paradise, of course, is the one that started it all from nineteen eighty-four. And uh, remains a really cool, funky, low-budget black-and-white indie from the 80s. It's sort of the quintessential 80s auteur indie. It is so Jarmish. It's only, you know, like uh, 89 minutes long. But there's also a um, permanent vacation is on here, which is his 1980 uh, um, uh, color feature debut, which is basically like a student film um but anyway it's 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 all really interesting there's also kino 84 a 1984 german television program with interviews and everything from you know that really looks at both permanent vacation and uh, stranger in paradise and um a behind the scenes super 8 film that uh, tom Jarmish made of the of the movie's making um, really, it's fantastic, and the original audio commentary, of course, from 1996 with uh, Richard Edson and Jarmusch, and then Night on Earth with uh, Benini and a whole bunch of other people, Winona Ryder. It's this movie is equally bonkers. This is long though. This is over two hours long from 1991. A lot of great actors in it. Um, and he this is when Jarmusch was able to sort of pull together a great cast from. You know, he was now not an indie guy. He's now an auteur, and great score from Tom Waits. Um, great songs from tom Waits, a really funny uh, q and a with Jarmish in two thousand and seven, where he answers a bunch of questions that fans had sent in so mm. really, really fun and uh, then there 's a selected scene commentary from two thousand and seven uh, with Fred Elms cinematographer. Mm. Mm there's we're bringing everything back around a nice bring sleep. it back around and then the third criterion title here is uh, Jan Nemick's uh Diamonds of the Night from 1964 uh, which is one of the Czech new wave films that uh really really was extremely influential at the time this includes uh Nemick's 1960 student thesis film and uh a short documentary from 1993 all about uh him as a filmmaker this is uh this is really a beautiful beautiful film. It is um it's adapted from a novel that's about two boys who um escape from a uh, a train that's carrying them to a concentration camp and they escape into the woods. And uh what what that journey represents both literally and existentially. Um it's it's a it's a really powerful film. It's just got beautiful beautiful photography and uh Really, you can't say enough about it. It is uh, Diamonds of the Night by Jan Nemec, one of the great uh, pioneers of the Czech New Wave.
1: Wicked cool stuff. Uh, from 1985, I really I remember this film, and it was actually pretty good, starring Sam Waterston and Kathleen Quinlan, along with the great Yapat Koto warning yeah. sign. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was all set inside this uh, uh, this facility, this sort of biotech, biochemical uh, facility where they were making something, and then the virus got away, the bacteria got away, and they have to shut it down and close everyone off inside. There's one of those you know really clever ways to make a movie back in the day, uh, and it's all about uh, the, uh, the people uh, who get infected by this thing going kind of bananas and trying to kill everybody else. Sam Waterston tries to, has to try to keep himself and a very young Kathleen Quinlan alive. Very young Sam Waterston, too, for that matter. Interviews with the director uh, and the producers. Uh, uh, you got to let me borrow this one. All right, absolutely. Yeah, I'm working on a project. This will be useful, too. The Manitou is another one from 1978. This, I remember this creepy, creepy movie, Tony Curtis, Michael Sarah. Susan Strasberg and uh, the great Burgess Meredith in this movie, basically about a woman who has this tumor growing from the side of her neck, yep. except that the tumor turns out to be a four hundred the, the 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 reincarnation of a four hundred year old Native American uh, sort of demon uh, um, uh, who's going to grow out of her neck and uh, and and, uh, and is coming back as a reincarnated creature. This was one of the creepiest movies from 1978 in that sort of period of movies along 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 these lines. Uh, All kinds of special features on this too, again, uh, uh, including that 2K scan of the original film elements and audio commentary uh, from film historian Troy uh, Harwith and some of the executive producers of the film. So kind of neat from, uh, who is this from? This is from, oh, this is from Studio Canal. This is from Studio Canal, The Manitou. Great, good stuff. Uh, The Witches, uh, starring Joan Fontaine. This is a really, really neat movie. Uh, from back in the day, Joan goes off to Africa uh, and, and has an, an, an encounter with these witch doctors. She goes back to the U.K. and takes this job in this school. She, she feels like something strange is going on. And before long, a boy falls into a coma. She finds a voodoo doll, and you have this whole sort of, oh, uh, really creepy movie uh, uh, about voodoo and witches and, uh, and you know the wonderful Joan Fontaine. And it's really very neat, uh, made by Cyril Frankel. Special features include an audio commentary uh, with the filmmaker Constantine Nassar, as well as a few other folks. And this is from the Hammer Horror Collection: Joan Sweet. Fontaine, The Witches.
0: I love Joan Fontaine; always yeah. my favorite of the two sisters. Yeah. She she fa- very famously said, "If uh, and it, it is exactly what happened that if uh, if she died first, Olivia would be mad because that's another thing that she would have done first because <laughs> she won the, you know yeah, she won an Oscar before Olivia. Yeah, did.
1: that was a very ugly night. The, yeah. Yeah. at the at the Academy Awards. Yeah, yeah.
0: so I uh, got a bunch here. I'm going to blow through real quickly from the Warner Archive Collection. Uh, first off is Man from Atlantis. Uh, I'll tell you, Aquaman's got nothing on Patrick Duffy. Before Patrick Duffy was on Dallas, he was uh, he was a a, a a an amphibious human being on the, uh, the series Man from Atlantis, which all started with this television movie in 1977. Yep. And uh, I watched it. I remember when it was on. I remember I, I remember,
1: was... I remember the, the, the actual movie.
0: I was so enamored of that oh. movie and that show. It was great. I loved it. I, I loved the movie. I was so happy they turned it into a show. It was a lot of fun. And uh, he was so good. You know, that was my discovery of Patrick Duffy. He just had such an interesting look yep. and loved the fact that he had gills and, and kind of webbed hands and the whole thing. It was just fascinating. Mm-hmm. It was a really good genre show. Yeah. and um, they,
1: they, they did those back in the day. They would just pop up out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Man and, and, and
0: sometimes they worked and sometimes they didn't. Oh, sometimes
1: they'd be Auto Man. Yeah. Or Manimal. <laughs>
0: but it, uh, yeah, exactly. But you know, and the, or or like Kathy L- Kathy Lee Crosby in uh, the original Wonder Woman, which oh, didn't yeah, work, and yeah. then yeah. they like, re- back reconfigured Windows, it with yeah. yeah. But uh, no, that's great. And and Victor Buono plays the, the the bad guy here, and Victor Buono is just a great villain. He was a great villain as uh, as King Tut on yeah. on Batman and as Count Zeppi on the Wild Wild West, and here he's basically just doing the same shtick, which is kind of also what he does in in Who's Afraid of uh, a Baby Jane or whatever happened to baby jane uh you know he he has a, a shtick and it's a great shtick and it's a lot of fun man from atlantis and looks good too really good on blu-ray uh glass bottom boat uh also on blu-ray which is a 1966 f- uh kind of a slapstick comedy with uh doris day and uh rod taylor and uh Paul Lind and Dom Deluise it's just it's a lot of fun it's a really 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 fun movie and uh i'm so happy they they decided to to give this the blu-ray treatment the warner archive blu-ray treatment it really really is a blast everybody just has a lot of fun arthur godfrey is in this for those who know who arthur godfrey was dick martin it's really really crazy it's a spy spoof basically um but it's a little—it's a spice move with a little bit of Mad, 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 Mad World as well. So uh, it's got some vintage featurettes on it, including uh, Catalina Island, which is all about an island that uh, those of us who live here in L.A. know very, very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last is Cleopatra Jones. Yeah, that's what I'm, what I'm talking luck. about. That's it. Max Julian wrote and Jack Starrett directed. And uh, this is, you know, it, it was not all... There were, there were a lot of, of, uh, of great black female action heroes in the exploitation genre. We mm-hmm. think it's Pam Grier. Mm-hmm. But it's not all Pam Grier. No. There were others yeah, as well. Jean
1: yeah, Bell. Jean Bell and, and, and Tamra Dobson. Tamar Dobson
0: yeah. And Tamra Dobson just kills it here. Absolutely kills it. She is just so hot. The, the clothes are hot. The action is hot. It's a really, really, it's, it's just terrific. You know, taking down, taking down a, an, an evil drug trafficker played by Shelley Winters, who goes by the name Mommy. Shelly Winter's playing Drug Mom Mommy. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's the best. And um, you know, Cleopatra Jones takes her takes her on. Bang Su Han, the great Hapkido master, uh, does the action choreography here. And uh it's just it's super, it's really, really good. It's a it's a film that totally holds up uh of the black exploitation era. This is one definitely one of the better ones, and the ones that has a longer uh has a longer lifespan. It still looks very, very contemporary, and also really, really good performance by Bernie Casey, who does not mind no. letting a woman take the limelight. No, I uh, love it. And then the last three, real quickly, are which are DVDs only uh, from the Warner Archive Collection, a very early Mary Pickford um, talkie called *Coquette* which was a UA picture at the time, now, of course, with Warner Brothers. And um, it's okay. You know, Mary Pickford didn't quite make it to talkies with the same power, but Coquette is a, is a decent film and historically significant. Also, A Woman of Affairs with John Gilbert and Greta Garbo. Uh, that is also a real oldie from 1928. Very, very early sound film. Also has Douglas Fairbanks Jr. in a very early appearance here as well. Um, it's a Garbo film, basically. You're watching it for her just really, just, her, her incredibly cool uh, demeanor. And then uh, Walter Houston in The Star Witness, which was a uh, Warner Brothers Vitaphone picture roughly around the same time, a few years later. Early, It's a pre-code film, 1931, uh, directed by William Wellman, the great William Wellman. Uh, it's a just a kind of a courtroom drama, uh, which is perfectly fine. It's not brilliant, but it is historically significant just because of it being Wellman and Walter Houston. And uh, the fact that it was based on um, on, on I believe a an actual uh, incident, so I would I'm, I believe so. I'm not absolutely positive about that, but I think it was a it was an actual uh, event at the time. So anyway, uh, there's that.
1: Uh, I got a couple of old school, sort of quasi black exploitation films, not exactly, but they're from the era anyway, uh, including The Take, 1974, Billy D. Cool. Williams. Uh, Billy Williams in this movie with Eddie Albert and Vic Morrow and a bunch of great old actors from back in the day. Fantastic. Bad guy in this movie, bad guy in this movie is being played by Frankie Avalon. Oh uh, it's, no. it's a low, 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 low level hood. This cop, Billy right. D Williams, played by Billy Williams, is chasing. Interesting. Yeah, other thing about this movie is set in New Mexico, you know, as opposed to Harlem or. For that matter, Los Angeles, uh, where where most of these films were sort of set. Uh, yeah, a gritty little film. Billy D. Williams, real young uh, in, in this movie. I think this was either just before or just after his turn as Gale Sayers in the television movie with James Caan, uh, Brian Song. Uh, so he was sort of up and coming here, would go on to do Mahogany with uh, Diana Ross and all that kind of stuff. So Billy Dee Williams, Williams, uh, he's, he's sometimes just the overlooked black male movie star yeah. of the year when we think about Harry Belafonte well. and Sidney Poitier and a few of these guys. Sometimes we forget about Billy. Uh, you he, know he 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 gets uh, he gets the last laugh
0: because we see him in Star Wars Episode Nine. Yeah,
1: Billy Billy, who was born in nineteen thirty seven, which makes him what eighty two. He does not look like eighty two. You've no. seen the trailer, yeah. for, for Episode Nine. Yeah, he looks like he did in nineteen eighty two. I wish he had been in the other one. I Don know. O- what are you I know. Do? Uh, the other one on this disc, this is a two disc set, a double feature, is Black Gun, which of course is going to be. Our boy Jim Brown. Jim Brown. This is a, this is an interesting movie. This is kind of a political movie. Jim Brown plays the brother sure. of this guy who's sort of like a radical uh, politician coming up. His brother gets brutally killed, and Jim teams up with his brother's uh, sort of radical organization yeah. to go after his brother's killers. Classic stuff from back in the day. A lot of fun. Uh, the Take and Black Gun double All feature. Right. Well, with that, we
0: are closing in on the uh, the end of the show now. So we will uh, we'll pick it up again next week. Um, our our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers and and our 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 very best wishes go out to uh, to the people of Paris, the people of France. Hopefully, this uh, this Notre Dame thing turns out to be. I'm, I'm hoping it's not sabotage. Mm. I, it, it's a tragedy no matter what. It, it, it may well be an accident. There was a lot of scaffolding around it, as there often is, for renovations and whatnot. But um, given what's happened in France over the better part of the first part of this year, I'm afraid it isn't. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>